Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week, and uh, it's a it's a two for a week here at the Metal Exchange with Keeper of the Seven Keys parts one and two, uh, two of the most, if not the uh, darn near close, uh, most heralded power metal albums of all time by Halloween. But before we get there, Chris, how are you, my man? Doing well, doing well. I uh, can't really complain, all things considered. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to talking about this. It's a little bit surprising that um, it's taken us this long to get to these really seminal uh, releases. So um, I-, I look forward to digging in. Yeah, for sure. And uh, before we get there, just uh, some housekeeping matters. We the we, lot lot of positive feedback about the Pain of Salvation episode, which I was kind of surprised at. I'm not sure if I was surprised at the feedback so much, but your uh, enjoyment that you got from the album was a real pleasant surprise for me. I think that shined through because uh, a lot a lot of people had a lot of things to say, um, both to us and about some of the comments we made, both good and bad. I know I, I people call me out for. Um, my, my thoughts on Panther and whatnot, and I, and I get that, but it was just a really, really enjoyable episode to record, and the feedback we got was phenomenal, so keep that coming. Um, for starters, obviously, we, we love that. Number two, um, kind of a quiet week for new releases. Um, for me, anyway, I listened to a bunch of stuff. I don't really want to name any of it. I didn't. Nothing really grabbed me that I thought was that good. Um, but you had sent me one single, which absolutely blew me away because, number one, it was a complete surprise. Number two, I didn't realize they had gotten back together. Uh, it was just kind of came out of nowhere. And that's uh, Germany Zandria, who, which came out with a new single for their song Reborn, which I guess is a fitting title considering it's practically a brand new lineup. Yeah, um, I... Didn't think that uh, Zandria was going to reappear. Uh, they just kind of faded off. I believe their last full album came out like five years ago. And um, I believe Diane Van Giersbergen was their singer. She had left the band and that was pretty much the last everyone's heard. But now they have a new singer. Her name is Amber Vor, uh, Vor- Vorvehis, I believe. Vorvehis. Um, I... Um, she was previously in the band Fragment Soul, who I was not really familiar with, but um, uh, she really killed it on this um, this new single. Um, so we definitely both uh, recommend that if you haven't, check out their um, their new single and music video on YouTube and, and check out their their new vocalist. And uh, I mean, I, th- I always thought that they were kind of the the second coming of, of the early Nightwish era, whereas kind of Nightwish kind of moved away from that um kind of ocean born and wishmaster sound whereas um i think zandria kind of um almost adopted that from nightwish and kept that style going so um it sounds like they're going to continue down that road but uh yeah it's it's nice to see um they put on a great show at, at prog power usa a few years ago and uh yeah it'll be interesting to hear um more from them going forward yeah the, the it it was just a really well done song is kind of the way I would nothing that you haven't heard, but just really well done. And I thought that the, the, her voice was really powerful, something that that band kind of needs given the, given the style of music that they play. So it was, it was good all around. I look forward to the album. Um, and, and by the time this episode drops, fittingly enough, Halloween is actually releasing a new video, um, called best time from their, obviously from their self-titled album that we both 
had as their album of the year last year, ironically enough. But what's even more interesting is that uh, they have a special guest joining them on the video. Not quite sure why, but uh, you want to tell uh, everyone a little bit about uh, who's joining them on on that vi- on that video that actually will have dropped by the time everyone hears this. Yeah, it's uh, Elisa White Glues from um, Arch Enemy. Um, she's in the music video. I do not know if she's does any vocals. Um, they released a, a a kind of a B side, I guess, if you will, to the single with um, alternate vocals, but it's really just kind of Kiskin Kai and, and Andy in different places. Um, so it did not appear, uh, or at least it did not appear on that single. So I'm not expecting her to hear her. I think she just makes a, a, a like a physical appearance in the video, but um, I haven't seen it. It's not out yet, so I, I could be wrong. But uh, that's my hunch. Um, but I am looking forward to seeing it. Uh, Halloween always seems to come out with um, really fun music videos dating all the way back to the albums that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I, and I guess there's no better segue. I, I, I'm happy. I, I'm happy that we're eventually going to get to all these albums because, as much as I love some of them, you know, I think that certain people struggle with other albums that may be coming soon down the pike after Keeper 1 and Keeper 2 for, for many reasons, and that's a whole other rabbit hole which will go down. But I think that um, I think it's safe to say that these two albums are probably uh, the birth of power metal. Now, some people might argue Iron Maiden with, with Power Slave, and there's an argument to be made there. Obviously, a lot of that early Blind Guardian material uh, there as well. But this really was unlike anything that had been coming out in 1987. And even even Walls of Jericho that you know we've talked about in the archives really early on, that was a different album than this. That was a different band, a different sound. And although it obviously um, was very formative for the band, this is where the band, I think, started hitting their stride. And it's a sound that would kind of permeate the rest of their career. And quite frankly spawn hundreds, if not thousands, of other bands that would ultimately mimic their sound. And it really all started with with Keeper 1 and Keeper 2. Keeper 1 coming out on May 23rd, 1987. Uh, The follow-up coming out on August 29th of 1988. Um, I I don't know if it was just the right time or just... um, Michael, the, the Michael Kisk influence, or what have you, but something happened around this time, and it was it was it was magical. I, I think we can all agree. Yeah, I mean, what a what a find, a diamond in the rough. Uh, uh, I think um, Kisk was 18 years old when they uh, discovered him. He was performing in a German band called uh, Ill Prophecy, um, and he had written um, at least two of these songs that would appear on these albums. Um, I believe a little time was one of them, and um, you always it, walk alone. Yeah, you always walk alone. Yeah. yeah, and we actually, right. I think he wrote, "We got the right as well," which is we'll get. Yeah. To it. So, um, so yeah, so uh, he had, you know, they must they found him. Uh, Kai wanted to step away from singing um, because he was really wanted to focus on playing playing the guitar on the on the tours, and um, so. And I and, and and I agree with you that it's this injection of this this silver throated, um, the smooth singing, this high. I mean, Kai, Kai. No one is ever going to compare him to a Michael Kisk. He was he had um, 
a raspiness and a roughness. And I think many would argue that Kai's vocals improved a lot by the time he would start singing again in 1995 when Gamma Ray would release Land of the Free. Um, but, you know, he took a good eight years off from full-time, uh, you know, lead singing from Walls of Jericho until Land of the Free. And I think that this new musical style that Halloween kind of was moving towards um, was perfectly fit for the vocals of, you know, the, the, this new singer, Michael Kiska. And uh, it's, it really is. I mean, I, as much as I, I'm a big fan of Iron Me, and I feel like this is, this was something I think brand new. Like this was, I, I never really considered Iron Me in a power metal band. Um, even though there are definite like uh, overlaps in the style. Um, I don't think they're a traditional power metal band. Um, whereas I, I think when I think of traditional power metal, I think of this, these two albums are pretty much where it all begins. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I don't, I, I don't for a second want to um, have anyone think that I'm, I'm suggesting that Iron Maiden was, was, was the first power metal band. Although I think there's an, I think that without an Iron Maiden, we don't get to this point. If, if you're, if you're kind of building the foundation for power metal, I think Power Slave and some of the songs on there go a real long way, and obviously that came out in '85 um, or '84 into '85 with with and even songs off Peace of Mind. To be honest with you, those two albums I think really helped bridge the br- bridge the gap to what we have here. But just the double bass drum alone that you hear on a lot of these tracks was was something that not a lot of people were doing. If anyone was doing it at this point. Um, and certainly not in the way that Halloween was doing it. They were really pioneers uh, in that re- respect. And you have to remember this, going back to 1987, there is no Stradivarius. There is no anger. These bands were five and six years away uh, in many cases. And even Stradivarius, who was you know, doing stuff in the early 90s, it was, you know, if you listen to Twilight Time, it doesn't really sound like this. They only adopt that style um, when Colt DePelto joins the band in, in 94. So it's... It's just, it's just different, and, and there's nothing else, as far as I know, and I, and I happen to have, you know, an ear for this genre. It was my favorite for a very long time. I just don't, I don't know anything that sounded like this at, at the time. This was revolutionary in many ways. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know. You know better than me. I, I can't think of anything. The the maybe the closest I could think of around this time might have been Blind Guardian, but even then the the vocals of Hansi were just not that that really smooth sound his vocals were a little bit more raspy a la Kai Hansen so um this i think the timing of this with um with the metal being still a, a very popular genre in the US i think helped propel halloween to actually greater heights than had this this genre kind of, you know, came out of the ground in the nineties, you know, whereas like this is a time where Halloween and I want out would get airplay on headbangers ball and on MTV. And, um, you know, uh, the Halloween video was on an episode of Beavis and butthead. So like there's, there was some, um, visibility, uh, that might not have existed, you know, by the time Master of the Rings and Time of the Oath would come out in the 90s, um, you know, Halloween had to rebuild from, you know, 
and again, we'll get to that in the future for sure. But, um, you know, I don't know that have like if Master of the Rings just came out in 1994, if we would look back on it and, and in the same way, I think it, the timing of this is a big part of, of the success as well, because I mean, granted in Europe and Japan and uh, it probably would have blew, blew up this just the same, but in this country, like that MTV playtime is such a big, is such a huge thing. Um, and I think that that helped kind of skyrocket this band right, right from the beginning. Yeah, that's a really good point, and I'm, I'm happy you, you brought up that Headbangers Ball um, exposure, if you will. If I'm not mistaken, they were actually on Headbangers Ball doing a full live concert at one point. I don't remember if that was on the Keeper 1 or Keeper 2 tour. My memory's a little foggy there, but like they actually showed. I think it was a full show with maybe Grim Reaper and Armored Saint from from that tour or what have you. There's video of it, and they actually play like a full half an hour set that could be seen on American television, which is like such a foreign concept to me now. I mean, A, that MTV is playing music. That 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 in and of itself is a foreign concept. But B, that Halloween could command that much airtime on, on American TV. It was just um, right time, right place, but quite frankly, right sound because it was so good and so revolutionary that like it, even though it wasn't hair metal that was quite frankly as accessible to the masses – there was there was a buzz here, almost like Dream Theater with images and words. A couple of years later, the time was right for for that prog metal to kind of hit the hit, hit. This is kind of a precursor to that about five years earlier. Yeah, and those are like to me like these. Those are the epitome of of those two genres. Is the really where things just kick off? Um, I think of images and words, and I think of uh, particularly Keeper Two, um, just because that was I actually bought Keeper 2 before Keeper 1, um, mainly because I didn't find out about Halloween until 10 years after these albums were released, but, um, it was the song, it was the song Eagle Fly Free that I just, that I heard and was just like, I have to listen to the rest of this album, and, uh, so those two albums to me, like, you know, the, uh, my prog side, I think of images and words, my power side, I think of keeper two, uh, keeper one to a lesser extent. Um, but yeah, like this is, this is just, uh, a, just so such an important album. And it's interesting how the band wanted this to be one full double album, but this, that wasn't really a thing anyone did back then. So the, I, the, the label was just like, I don't think so. Why not break it up? And they probably made more money selling them separately, but uh, it's interesting to picture it as, as a, a double album because I, I, I always thought it was interesting that, that uh, Michael Wycath has so few writing credits on part one and then has yeah. such a, but then on part two, he has such a, a, a massive um, influence, uh, especially with Eagle fly free and, um, the, the title track keeper of the seven keys that 13 minute epic and and dr steen as well um but when you just put all that's why like to me i felt like it, it was kind of impossible to talk about one of these albums without the other so um i thought it made the most sense to talk about them both at the same time and it's interesting that the the songwriting duo of waiki and and uh and kai with the with these weird little kiss songs sprinkled in that like while different fit like even though 
they weren't as traditional looking back on it as a, a future world or an I want out or a, or a Dr. Steen that, which would go on to be, you know, Halloween's three of Halloween's biggest hits. Um, I mean, a little time is such a, a memorable tune and, uh, um, we got the right and, and you always walk alone. Those are the three songs that, that Kisk, um, wrote that made it onto the main albums. He also had his, uh, you know, had some songwriting credits on some of the B sides, which we'll discuss, but, um, it was just a magical songwriting tandem with, with, uh, again, with Kiss kind of sprinkling in his little, like, you know, I know Glenn always calls them the oddball bands at, at Prague Power, the ones that don't quite fit the Prague or Power genre. And Kiss was like the oddball songwriter. Um, although I, I don't know if you would even be able to call like a little time, like an outlier on, on Keeper One. I mean, it really, I think it, it fits so well. Um, if anything, like a tale that wasn't right, I think would be the outlier on Keeper One because it's the it's really the one real power ballad on either of the Keeper albums. But um, I'm kind of straying. Why don't you um, get me back on track? No, I, <laughs> I could because I, I could, listen, I could, I could talk. I could talk about Halloween in tangents for hours. So I, I and I could listen for hours, and that's why I wasn't going to cut you off. But I'll I'll just hit on a couple of points that you hit on. Number one, in many ways, Keeper One is almost like a Kai Hansen album because he writes so many of the songs. And I won't go into details again right now because we've, we've talked about them or kind of danced around it, but it's kind of a Kai Hansen solo album. But that's number one. Number two, even though those Kisk songs are somewhat of an outlier, and, and by that I mean they're not Wycath or, or Hansen productions, I cannot imagine these albums without those tracks. Um, I think that the bonus tracks, and we'll get there, but I think that the bonus tracks are well-placed as bonus tracks. I cannot imagine those tracks on the actual album. They're a bit different than than the rest, but those three Kisk tracks are just... Um, they're 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 every bit as good as, as the, the, you know, the Hanson songs or the White Cat songs, and that is pretty much the biggest compliment I can give Kisk as a songwriter that he's up there with those two because they're two of my favorite songwriters of all time in any genre. And that's why, you know, I, I happen to love this band, but um, these guys, they, they, they just hit it out of the park and, and, and the songwriting, the, the, the upgrade from walls of Jericho to this in terms of just songwriting and production, but just looking at the songwriting for a second, what a jump they went from, I think, trying to find themselves to actually becoming good songwriters. And, and that's not to say that there aren't good songs on Walls of Jericho. There are fantastic songs. We've talked about it in the archives. Check it out. It's a very good compendium episode to this. But I think that just the the they've started following a certain script here, which was just, quite frankly, the perfect script. Uh, I think the, what the real change was is that they started writing more melodic songs like yeah. walls of Jericho, maybe guardians might be like the only song that I could, I feel like if they, if they had kiss come back and sing that song, it might fit into this keeper era. But like a lot of the songs like ride the sky and, and uh, you know, victim of fade and starlight, they were like really crunchy, heavy kind of songs. And, and, you know, they do have versions, uh, that Kiss re-recorded of, of Starlight and Victim of Fate. Um, but it's just the style 
is just really was meant for Kai's vocals. It was meant for like a, a more traditional heavy metal. It, it just to me, there just wasn't that kind of melodic, like, I don't know, like when you think of a song like Twilight of the Gods or I'm Alive, like th- there's nothing like that on um, Walls of Jericho. Yeah, it's 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 different um, to say the least, but in the best way possible. I think that you have to be in the right mood for Walls of Jericho I could put these albums on any day of the week, any time, and I would enjoy it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it, I remember buying, um, I bought all three albums around the same time, and, and Walls of Jericho was, um, was hard to hear, like, initially, you know, because you to go from Walls of Jericho to The Keepers, it feels like a, a natural progression and upgrade, um, but to listen to the keepers first and then, and, or, or even listen to the keepers, listen to time of the oath, listen to master of the rings, then go back and listen to walls of Jericho. It's very jarring. Um, you know, the production's not as good. The vocals aren't as good. The music's not as melodic, but the songs are still great. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, warrior is a uh, warriors is one of like the most underrated songs. Um, there's a lot of good stuff. I love starlight. I love murderer. Um, there's just some really good tunes on there, but this just was a whole nother level of, of, of songwriting and it, it's, you know, no sophomore slump here. I mean, these guys are, I, I mean, it's no secret. Michael Wycath is my favorite songwriter ever, um, by anyone or of anyone in any genre, like I, if I had to be stuck on a desert island with one man's songs, it would be Michael Wycath because that's to me. Every time Halloween releases an album, it's his songs I most look forward to, and it's almost always his songs that end up being my favorite ones on the album. There's something about that man that he just knows how to write power metal, and and he he might have peaked. <laughs> with this Keeper of the Seven Keys, the the song, this 13-minute insane epic that just has everything. That song, even though Halloween is a 13-minute song and it's on part one, I feel like Keeper of the Seven Keys, the song, sets up every power metal band that made a 10-minute-plus song for the next 25 years after this. 35 years. Yeah, we, this is actually an anniversary that we you know, happily discovered this week that <laughs> Keeper One came out 20, 35 years ago this week. Um, but that song, when you hear A Destiny by Stradivarius or anything, any power metal band that writes a like... Night at the uh, Opera by yeah, Blind Guardian. A, just an epic song. Like, it's you can thank Keeper of the Seven Keys. And you can even thank Kai Hansen for writing Halloween just because a 13-minute metal song... I don't know how common that was at that point in time. I mean, I'm, maybe Iron Maiden did it. I don't. I'm not that big of an aficionado to say, um, but that you know, it's not that weird to say Dream Theater wrote a 13 minute song. But like, it's odd, I guess, at the time to think that there's a you know, especially if you listen to the the single and or the, saw the music video and it was like a you know four and a half uh, five minute video that's that's just chopped to hell um it's so weird i still have the hardest time listening to that edited version of that of that i was song. i was going to get there 
when we spoke about the track, but I'll just let the cat out of the bag. It's one of my least favorite videos I've ever seen. Not just not because of the production or the fact that they're dancing around in the forest. That's not it. It's the fact that they butchered, and I mean absolutely butchered, that 13-minute song. I don't understand for the life of me why they didn't choose, quite frankly, a little time as the single for this album. But if they wanted to kind of introduce the world to that power metal sound and not go with something as vanilla as a little time. I think I'm alive would have been a much better choice if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. But I don't know. There's something about the visuals of that music video. I I almost feel like even though the song is butchered, it it was like the right choice for their first video Mm -hmm. because it's just this cheesy eighties, like in the forest, like, this a it's a band called Halloween. It's a song called Halloween. I mean, it's just I don't know. I think it, it's I, I, listen. I want out is a pretty cheesy video too. It, it's it's quintessential eighties. Um, and I feel like this is too. I think I want out is a better video, but I don't know. I, this has kind of like a just classic cheese factor to me that I I I hate how like abrupt and crappy oh, some of the cuts are. It's terrible. Um, I, you know, I, I used to um, I used to help uh, run a Halloween website. I mean, that's how big of a fan I am. Um, and the the guy that I ran the site with, Chris Scarred, um, he at one point re-edited Halloween himself because he hated <laughs> their edited version so much. I wish I still or ever had a copy of it because he was very proud of this, that he made a better cut than a professional musician did. Um, but I just always think of him when I hear this song just chopped up like this, this way. And, and so it's just very awkward sounding, especially if you know the original song well. Um, but the video is just, I'm sure that people that are a bit older than us that were like teenagers watching MTV at the time that were into metal and still love Halloween to this day, that video probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that video probably brings a lot of like positive nostalgia love love the video for what it is i hate the audio editing job i think it it absolutely butchers the song and quite frankly like i'm surprised the band ever caught on not not because of the video but because anyone who listens to that edited version of halloween has to be saying to themselves what am i listening to it's so disconjoined and all over the place but let, let's let's get into it keeper one as i said came out may 23rd 1987 uh, Loudwire has it as their third best power metal album of all time. I think that many, many would agree. Uh, others have called it an essential power metal album, uh, widely, widely regarded as a 9 or a 10 out of 10. It starts with an introductory track, Initiation, and then it just goes into um, <laughs> one, of, one of the most iconic opening tracks to any power metal album and that's i'm alive and, and and not to confuse it with blind guardians song by the same name from their imaginations album but this is this is the perfect intro track in my opinion to not only halloween but to this uh new dynamo called michael kisk i mean this is a heavy song it's melodic and it really defines power metal in, in a number of ways uh, specifically just a couple of highlights because I could probably talk about every note. The layered guitars during the solo have always been an absolute highlight for me. And I love that dual guitar sound. And, and I got to be honest with you, this was an absolute joy to hear live on the Pumpkins United tour. 
I know you didn't get to see that tour. I'm sure you'll get to see that lineup in the not-so-distant future. They're touring in Europe right now. But my God, and you're going to hear me say it a couple of times, but this particular song during that set blew me away because I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Uh, I have the Blu-ray, so we're (laughs) we're pretty much even. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so, I mean, again, another... Uh, thing that would become a power metal trope is this uh, this one minute to one and a half minute intro track that I mean she, Halloween even did it on Walls of Jericho leading into uh, Ride the Sky. This is a lot more um, in depth. Um, it's a lot more symphonic, a lot more classically um, driven, and the intro is actually this is the in the in. Initiation, yeah, that's a word. The initiation track is used as the intro to the Halloween music video, which makes no sense because Halloween has its own <laughs> its own distinct <laughs> intro. I don't know I what know. the hell anyone was thinking, but um, <laughs> it's weird because sometimes when I hear initiation, I'm expecting to hear Halloween come after just from the music video, and then there's other times where I expect I'm watching the music video and I'm expecting I'm alive to start, and then it's you know very confusing. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Um, this is this. I mean, choosing a song on either of these albums, it's it's just wild. And and there's only six real full length songs on this album. Uh, there's you know, follow the sign and initiation, which bookend the album, are just really intros and outros. You really only have six like full songs, mind you, one of them's 13 minutes long, but this album is significantly shorter than part two. Yeah, it it, it is. And in many ways, I've always kind of considered this a glorified EP because the first and the last track, like you said, not real. I mean, there's really six songs. Five of them are kind of short. And then obviously the one Epic, this is a glorified EP in many ways, maybe the best EP of all time, but it's, 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 I mean, it's just like, just edging to, to the point that it's a you know an, an actual album. Obviously, when you think of vinyl, it, I guess it works a little bit better. But like, if I bought a CD and it was thirty what thirty seven minutes long, I'd be a little like feel like I'm getting shortchanged a bit. It only is well, about we did. half this. When we, when we bought this, that's, that's exactly true. What happened? That's true. Except it's so perfect that it didn't matter. But uh, I just yeah. thought it was. I thought it was weird that they chose to make one album that much longer than the other because. And this is something we'll talk about when we get to part two, as far as is save us a bonus track or not. It's the the great uh, the great debate in my mind. But um, to me, it's part of the album because it was part of the original one I had. So that makes that that makes part part two clock in at about fifty six, fifty four, fifty four, fifty five, fifty six minutes long versus this album, which is just shy of thirty seven minutes. It's a significant difference. So either they didn't have the songs written yet which is weird because they wanted to release a two a two-part album um but it's just weird that the second one was was given so much more material um especially considering that you have some of these b-sides um and and i'm definitely interested to, to pick your brain on um the ones that you think don't belong on any of these albums or if any of them do and and we'll we'll definitely talk about that but uh yeah um Getting back to the task at hand, yeah, I'm Alive is a fantastic intro to this new, not just new album by Halloween, but this new genre that Halloween is unknowingly inventing, basically, at this point. <laughs> um, and then it leads into the, the uh, and th- that was, a, and I'll make sure to point out the songwriters, um, that was Kai, 
um, Kiss would write the next track a little time. And like we mentioned before, it was something that he had already had written. It's a little bit different if you ever get to hear the, the ill prophecy version of it. Um, this is a neat little song that kind of, um, slows things down. It's a little bit more of a, a mid pace song, at least as far as this album goes, it might be considered <laughs> fast paced on another band's album, but, um, <laughs> It, it after I'm alive, I'm alive is a real fast, like, you know, it's only three under three and a half minutes long. It just is a banger for three minutes. Um, this is like a kind of a cool down song, but it's, it's super catchy. I never back when I didn't really pay attention to who wrote the songs. This to me fit right in with everything else. Yeah. It's so catchy. It's straightforward, but from that opening riff, you're hooked. And there's something so simple about the way this song starts that I absolutely love it. And I'll tell you something. I've probably heard this song a thousand times. I noticed something this week that I never really picked up on before. And that's how good Ingo's drumming is on this track. Subtly, for what's kind of a simple track, his his drumming is an absolute highlight for us. And, and, and you know, we, we probably should go into the rest of the lineup. Ingo Schwichtenberg on drums, and obviously longtime bass player Marcus Graskoff on bass. He's He's been with them since the beginning, and he's still with them to this day. Ingo's drumming on this was just an absolute pleasure to listen to, and it kind of makes this simple song, I don't know, pop a little bit more. They do this little space interlude in the middle, which kind of breaks up the song, and I don't know what they were doing or why they did it, but it doesn't really bother me because I guess I'm just used to it at this point. But it also and that and that was what inspired Arion. So you can thank yeah. <laughs> Oe for Arion too. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, what the other thing I love about this track is, believe it or not, the guitar outro that kind of takes you out at the end. I've always thought that that was a nice touch. It has like this solo that kind of takes you out, and it just kind of puts a bow on on this short little catchy tune. Yeah, it's man. I don't. Know if I notice that bands do that anymore, but like, do bands still do that fade out, or is that just like a a, a thing of the, the the back in the day that like, because that is so classic. Just that it it just makes you think of listening to the radio, where it just kind of fades out at the end, and and yeah, like, and then you just hear that like, I I one of I don't know if it was Kai or Wikey, but just wanted to just kick in one last like killer riff as it's fading out like you know you like if you have headphones on maybe you pump it up a little bit just to catch what's going on at that very end where it fades out but um then it 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 goes into another song like in the vein of i'm alive that again written by kai hansen another just like face melter song like this is a song that i think i've grown to love even more over the years and i think it was when the um when the Keepers of Jericho um, tribute album came out, um, it was the it was the uh, the cover. I believe it was um, I believe it was on part two. Actually, um, I'm gonna look it up real quick so I don't forget. But um, the band that uh, Axon Star, um, the band that I, the, when I heard the cover in like kind of a modernized way it made me realize how freaking good the song was. And, and, and ever since then, um, I, I've just gone back and appreciated it so much more. Same goes with, um, with, um, uh, March of time, but that Arwen covered on that same album. Those, I mean, listen, I know tribute albums are always hit or miss. Um, these two tribute albums are 
so good. I mean, Rhapsody, Sonata Artica, uh, Heaven's Gate, Luca Torelli, Vision, Vision Divine, Divine, Labyrinth. And these are just bands that we've covered on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, the second volume is a little bit more um, obscure bands. Uh, you do have uh, Dragonland is on there, but then there's also like Red Wine and Valdemar and, Fr- and Fraternia and Paragon and Celesti and, and Steel Attack. So like um, the first one was a little bit like the all-star team. And then the second one was kind of like the, you know, the, the double A, uh, you know, whatever minor league, but, but there's so many good songs. Uh, like the, the, so many good versions. Just, I found out about, that's how I learned about Dragonland and Axe and star and Arwen. Um, those, those bands. Um, anyway, I'm doing that thing again where I just completely sidebar, but, um, this song is fan is fantastic. And I, I do kind of feel like this I'm alive and, um, and March of time are kind of like these, the three Kai Hansen, just super fast, but super quick. They're not like super long songs. Um, just like the classic, those are my three favorite Kai songs from this era. Um, just so, um, endemic of what his songwriting was about and what was missing after he left the band. Um, and, and Halloween would go on to continue to be phenomenal, but that, little that piece of halloween was only there for a couple of years and then it was gone and he took all that talent and and created a whole nother legendary band in gamma ray um but to me like those three songs i mean just unbelievable uh as much as i love waiki um i gotta give kai his due um those three songs to me are, are three of the best songs he ever wrote and they're they just happen to be on these two albums i cannot say that I like Twilight of the Gods. I love Twilight of the Gods. I think that in retrospect, my favorite tracks off these albums have changed a lot over the years. Um, Songs like Future World and I Want Out, which we just absolutely adored as kids and would go around the neighborhood screaming at the top of our lungs, sober, no joke, um, Unfortunately, maybe it's because of just repetition, but I don't love them in the same way that I used to love them. Now it's more with a nostalgia pop. But if I'm being objective, this is probably my favorite song off of the album with the benefit of 25 years of hindsight. This is another song that defines the genre. The double bass drum, the lyrical themes, and the soaring vocals over the top – but quite frankly, what I love about the song isn't all of those things. It's Marcus Groskopf's bass on this entire track, which separates them from like other power metal bands that would come after them because they're all so good at not only writing the songs, but playing their instruments. How many times do you get to say that it's Marcus or that it's the bass player that jumps out on an entire power metal tune? You don't get to say it very often, but that's what happens here. And quite frankly, obviously, I'm not the only one that likes this song because there's a Swedish band called Insania, another power metal band, which got their name from this track. So obviously, like, I'm not alone. This obviously influenced a lot of people. Um, I love this song. And quite frankly, if I got to choose a second song of the week, this would have been it. But spoiler, it, it can't be because I can only choose one. But I was I was very close to choosing this. 
No, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. And to your point, in spite of this band having a lot of different members over the years and, and kind of reverting back to its original lineup again uh, with, you know, uh, Ingo obviously not alive anymore, but I mean, um, the, the guys that would come in and, and replace the guys that would leave were, you know, Roland Grappo, uh, just an, a fantastic uh, technical guitar player, but a great songwriter as well. Uli Kush, who came in to replace Ingo, wrote some really memorable songs for Halloween, um, especially Mr. Torture, I think, might have been his most uh, memorable one that, that he wrote for the band. And again, um, their their initial replacement for Ingo, they didn't even keep because he couldn't keep up with the double bass and they, and they had to go and find, uh, you know, Uli and, and, and all the other guys up to Danny Lobel now, um, and Sasha Gerstner now on guitar, um, all just really technically proficient, but also really strong songwriters. And that's why I think Halloween stayed interesting in spite of losing a Kai Hansen and losing a Roland Grappo and losing an Uli Kush, um, as far as songwriters go and still having, Andy Darris rise up as a, as a strong songwriter and have uh, Marcus who didn't have very many songwriting credits in the early days, but now some of his songs are some of the more memorable uh, songs on the, the Halloween albums of today. And, uh, and just, you know, that, and then with Wikey just still churning out like one or two per album of, of just classic songs, the, the, the the formula just kept going. It's amazing how Halloween has modernized itself, but yet in the same vein of this genre that they created themselves 35 years ago. Um, and again, this is why I want to kind of eventually discuss the entire uh, history of this band, because I think they're just that influential and that important. And they're one of my favorite bands ever. So there's a selfish reason for it, but yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, speaking of Wikey, this next track is the, like I mentioned before, the one ballad, the one true power ballad um, of the two albums. Um, and it's an, it's a just phenomenal, like, emotional song. But live, Kiss singing it live, it, it's, it just takes it to, like, a whole nother, like, atmosphere it's just this was a song that was written to be performed in front of an audience i could not agree with you more and i was going to say the same thing i've always liked this track i've always thought that it was a quintessential ballad and really paved the way for you know power metal ballads going forward but there was something about this song live which which took it to a completely different level. And as much as I like the album track, hearing it live is an experience like no other. And and quite frankly, Darius has sung this song live, and that's a really interesting take in and of itself. But hearing Michael Kisk sing this live, I mean, it, it just sends shivers, you know, up your arms. It, it's it's that good. It's it's really like a vocal clinic. Uh, when he does this, especially of course on the album where, where a young kiss, it, it's it's. I mean, it's you could you could write a book on this. It's a bit repetitive, but it was so good that it didn't matter. Um, but yeah, the lot hearing it live, I think, is absolutely uh, you know takes it to another level. But what's funny is after the ballad, the way this album closes out with Future World and Halloween back to back before the outro, I don't want to say it ratchets things up. 
But I think that you could just really hear the band hit their stride in terms of the songwriting on the last two tracks. Future World was obviously a favorite of mine as a kid. It was just so accessible, and it makes me think of Nick every single time I hear it. Um, but when I listen to it now, as much as I love it, as much as I know every single note, it's kind of a nostalgia play for me. Um, I don't know that I have the same love that I did, or I should say the same type of love that I did for it maybe 25 years ago. But it's just a fun, catchy tune that whenever you hear it live, you just kind of know it's future world time. Let's 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 kind of like strap in. But if I was going to skip a track, it would probably be the track that I skip if I had to skip one. You know, like listening to the album, just because I grew to love other ones more. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Um, I think that it's also the fact that like. Even after Kai left the band, this was the one Kai song that they just kept playing. Like, it never left the rotation. Um, Halloween does have kind of a, a history of, <laughs> like, kind of like um, blacklisting members' songs after they leave the band. I mean, they, they, I don't think they've played a Roland or an Uli song since they both uh, left to form Master Plan. Um, Kai songs would kind of slowly seep back into the mix and i remember particularly the year um i believe they were touring the um keeper legacy album where they started busting out uh starlight and murderer and um some more kai songs that they hadn't been playing over the years um but this was the one this i would argue is the most well-known song kai hansen ever wrote um it (laughs) it's just it's been covered by lots of many many bands um oh you know what maybe maybe i should say maybe i I want out probably is the most well-known song kai hansen ever wrote that's a song i've probably heard more metal bands cover than any other song but uh this this is up there too just an iconic halloween song but i think that um like you i I suffered some fatigue from just overhearing it and, and and if you can't see nick in front of you holding a vacuum cleaner while it's playing i mean is it even really future world <laughs> i i couldn't agree more i'm not i'm not going to go into as much depth on halloween because you know my thoughts but i'll say this about the 13 plus minute version a precursor to keeper of the seven keys the song absolutely iconic bridge on this song which i think makes the makes the entire thing the galloping verses the memorable chorus and i'll tell you something that i never really noticed until this but the the way the solos are structured towards the end of this epic song believe it or not reminds me not in terms of style but just in the way that there's these like dueling guitar solos it reminds me of megadeth's rust in peace and certain parts of that album which would obviously come out a few years later with those dueling guitar solos because it is all over this album and it's a treat to watch or i hear hansen and whitecath go back and forth on these solos this is a great song i prefer keeper of the seven keys but this is, you know, I, I think, like like you said, the the first of its kind, and, and what a way to kind of end the album before um, before follow the sign, which is a true, uh, you know, outro track. Yeah, um, to me, like Halloween, uh, I want to shout out to our, our buddy Mike. Um, he he had makes he's he's made it a, a annual tradition to blast this song on Halloween every year and and I join him in that tradition on an annual basis um it 
it feels like the holiday hello uh, Halloween Halloween. Um, I'm going to be turned into a half price pumpkin now for saying it wrong. <laughs> um, it, it's like it's what White Christmas is to Christmas. Um, <laughs> this is the the greatest Halloween <laughs> song ever. Um, a little more competition at Christmas time, I think. Yeah, but. a little bit. Yeah, Mariah. Once Mariah Carey makes a Halloween album, then we'll talk. We'll talk turkey, but. Um, <laughs> And then she'll make a Thanksgiving album and then we'll really talk Turkey. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just, it's 13 minutes, but it's, um, it's like, we always talk about with like the prog songs, typically or prog albums have 13 minute songs. The ones that we like are the ones that keep it interesting and changing throughout. And this song definitely does that. And it has, you know, it slows down and it speeds up and it's, it's, it's always, it's always just a, a fun thing to listen to. And, and uh, a metal exchange trope is that 13 minutes feels like six minutes or whatever you want to say. And I always thought follow the sign was kind of useless. Like why it, it's just it's not ended really after Halloween. A, yeah. It's like, not go even, out on a high note. It's not even really a song. It's just kind of like atmosphere, atmospheric, like, like orchestration and like weird whispering. And like, um, I don't know. It just, just, like release keeper two and let's get started with uh invitation already because I, I i i this must have been such a tease for somebody who like listened to this album and loved it and then it was like over in 36 minutes and they're like that's well the, you'll, you'll get part two next year <laughs> that's the one knock it's just not long enough so i'll i mean i guess we'll, we'll break it up this way i was going to ask you whether you like part one or part two better but why don't you just give me a score one to ten what do you rate this um I would give this album a. It's, oh, it's so hard just because if it was, if it was a little bit longer, it would change probably change how I would how I would rate it. Um, I think I'm still just gonna give it. I'm still gonna give it a nine just because it's that. The songs that are on it are that good, um, and they're that influential, and they're that important. And there's every song is great. Um, as long as you're not counting "Follow the Sign" as a song, every song on this album is 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 you know you, you as much as you probably want to hear deeper cuts when you see the band live, you would never complain if they played any of these songs live if you saw them. Um, I mean, maybe if you, like "Future World" might be your biggest complaint out of all, all six of the main songs, just because you've heard it so many times. But I mean. This is just quintessential Halloween. It's quintessential power metal. It's quintessential German power metal. And and as we've talked about, it spawned power metal, Arion, and Rust in Peace <laughs> by Megadeth. So, I mean, that's how influential this album is. Uh, it's funny you mention it. It's perfect for what it is. It's just obviously very, very short. You could argue that comparing it to Keeper 2 – it's actually a better album because there's no dead spots. If you don't count Follow the Sign, in other words, it's just one perfect song after the other. It's just not enough of them. Whereas I would argue on Keeper 2, maybe there's one song that's not perfect. We'll get there. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's a 9.5 for me. There were times, and, and I kind of go back and forth, so I'm not even sure what, what I would say today, but there were times where I actually would reach for this before Keeper 2 because I loved – there was something about just – it was so tight and so succinct and yet so perfect that it was like the best half an hour I could spend listening to this album. So we'll see. Also, also probably – and I'll speak for you. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but – You're wrong. Beautiful. <laughs> By the time I got Keeper 1, I had listened to Keeper 2 so many times, I was ready to listen to a new Future World. I really didn't know 
much else on this album. Um, do you remember getting Keeper One? Um, I have such I, a clear memory of getting Keeper Two, but Keeper One is is a bit more vague in my head, and I, I usually remember these kinds of things, but this one's kind of blanking on me. I, I agree with you that there was a fatigue factor from two at the time, just because it was on repeatedly. I don't remember. I feel like I got them in very close proximity to one another, months apart maybe. Um, but I, I, I don't have an independent recollection of how or when or where, other than I know that it was like in 1998. <laughs> that, that's all I, I know. All I remember in particular is that I dragged my feet on buying this album due to the length. I thought, really, if I'm going to spend 15 to $20 on a CD, I don't want to spend one on an album that only has six songs. Um, but I think at some point I just got it just for completion sake and because it's Halloween. But I mean, um, you know, two was my first love. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said last week and this, and this week, and I'll hammer it home again. You, you really can't have one without the other. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll just end with one thing. Debuted at, what is it, 104 on the U.S. charts? That's not bad, folks, in 1987. And let's be honest, there was a lot of competition back then. And I'm not just talking about, like, Michael Jackson, Madonna. I'm not, obviously that. But there was just so many albums being released that people were buying at the time. Slippery When Wet, in, right? Like, around this time in 1987. I mean, like, there's competition uh, from Bon Jovi and yet this this was this almost cracked the top 100 so that should tell you something uh but like we like we said a year and a half later keeper 2 would come out and, yeah. and some hey, of the before, act- before before that though um yeah. real real quick um just a little bit about the um there's only two oh yes two b-sides that were released um at during these uh these sessions i i, I guess um and they were on the future world single and every time i look at this single i think i look at this album art and i think of finding the 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 single at mr cheapo's um and nick ended up buying it and it, but it wasn't like your typical 45 single this was like a full-sized uh record but that was a single and it had it was a giant picture uh on the vinyl i'd never seen anything like it up until that point and um that was how I heard Future World for the first time was was hearing it on a vinyl record in Nick's basement. Shout out to Nick's basement. Um, <laughs> but on that album was uh, or on that that uh, that single, there was a version of Starlight that they did with Kisk, and um, which was interesting to hear his take. I, I was I remember always thinking it'd be interesting to hear all of Walls of Jericho done by Kisk or even Darius. I feel like Darius would actually fit that style even better than Kisk. And he does um, at the times that he would play them live. But then oh, another thing I thought was interesting was this alt- alternate version of a little time where they kind of like changed where parts of the song were. Like they just like kind of mixed it around and then cut out a little bit of the, that um, quiet like space part, the part where they invented Arion. Um, <laughs> they kind of like shortened that a little bit. Um, it's an interesting take. It's really almost un, un remarkably different. Um, it's just like, it's almost like the song is just broken up into different parts and re- like put in a different order. But um, do you have anything to say about um, either of those? Lo- love Kisk singing Starlight. That was always a highlight for me. I remember going on eBay and buying CDs of Halloween B-sides 
bootlegs just because it was the only way I got to hear this stuff. And I remember that being on there and just playing that version on repeat because that and Victim of Fate were just so cool to hear with like polished vocals, if you will. I thought it was a nice contrast. As far as the, the A Little Time alternate version, unremarkable, like didn't really need to be done. It was fine. I listened to it. To me, I, I just thought the original was perfect. I didn't think there was any any need for it, but it was kind of a just a unique way to like cut and paste different parts of the song in different places. But by and large, it was the same thing without with just chopped up a little bit. Yeah, I wonder if maybe they had plans of making it a single, um, and that was going to be like the single version. And then it just never. Maybe they had to focus on the the part two album, and um, they just never got around to it. I don't know. It was odd, um, but. Anyway, um, yeah, we would move on to part two the following year. Uh, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Do you yeah, I was just going to say Loudwire has this as number one on their top 25 power metals of, uh, albums of all time. Uh, call it for what it is. I won't even read the accolades. Everybody has this on their top 25 power metals of all albums of all time. The only question is how high up on the list, and it's often number one. This is... Um, this this is this is something. I'll, I'll leave it at that. The first single, Dr. Steen, is released in September of 1988. A month later, they come out with the I Want Out single, which, quite frankly, I probably should have been the first single just because of the accessibility of that song. Um, and whereas the first album was more of a, a Kai Hansen solo album, this is more of a, a Whitecap album, in my opinion. I mean, there are, there are obviously tracks written by other people, but this, this, is, this is the Michael Whitecap show on this one. Without further ado, let's just get into it. Another opening track, but this one I feel like is a better intro invitation uh, than 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 the the prior opening track. The way it leads into Eagle Fly Free is just perfect, and Eagle Fly Free is I'm Alive on steroids. And the reason I say that is not because of the speed or the power or anything like that, but this song was just perfect in terms of the way it was constructed. It's a bit paint-by-numbers, but they invented power metal paint-by-numbers. So, like, that's a good thing. This is their book. They're the author. Everyone else plagiarized this particular song. It's got the gallop. It's got a solo section where it's not just a guitar solo, but a bass solo and a drum solo, which to me always jumped out to me as a kid. Oh, yeah. I love that. And just, like... A chorus, which quite frankly, I would put up against any chorus ever written. Like this, this, this is a chorus, right? This, this is how you do it. This is a five minute encapsulation of everything that is good about power metal. Eagle Fly Free, and I'll get back to Invitation in a second because I have some thoughts on that. But Eagle Fly Free is the greatest power metal song ever written and ever will be written. And I can't get sick of this song i've i've gotten tired of i want out i've gotten tired yes. of dr scene i've gotten tired of future world i made a i made a set list of like what i would want a dream halloween set to be like on their next tour and i didn't put dr steen or i want out on it but i put eagle fly free on it there it's not a halloween show without this song and it's the first halloween song i ever heard this was the first Halloween album I ever bought. Um, I, I remember popping it in and just hearing that one-minute intro invitation. Goosebumps. I was like, this is the most epic way to start out an album I've ever heard in my life. This is 
incredible. And this, you know, I knew Eagle Fly Free from the 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 vaunted Ralph mixtape, and I didn't know there was a friggin' intro to to Eagle Fly Free. I mean, I guess I could have to- told because of how abruptly the song begins. But um, holy crap! Like, what a way to start out this album and then into the greatest power metal song ever written or ever to be written by anyone ever <laughs> not to over you know not to over hype it or anything but it, it's my song of the week it's my song of the century um it's it's the reason that i that i became a power metal fan the second i heard this song i think it was just this is it for me like this is the music i'm going to listen to Again, like I said before, I cannot get sick of hearing this song. Every time I hear it, it pumps me up to, to, to like I could take on the world. And and like you said, those solos are so cool because who the hell had this? One guitarist does a solo, the other guitarist does a solo. Both guitarists do the solo together. The drummer does a solo. The bassist does a solo. Like I, I'm surprised that the engineer didn't come in and play a triangle <laughs> just so he didn't feel left out. Um, like Tommy Newton, get in here. Like, where's your triangle at? Like, the, it, it was like, who the hell was doing this? It, it, it like it, it took Keeper One and it just blew it, just blew it away. An album that you just gave a nine point five and I gave a nine point oh two, and in one song they just blew it out of the water. I mean. <laughs> I, 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 man, how the hell have we waited this long to talk about this? This is like, this, it's just so much, like, I have so much, uh, so much admiration and love for this song. And, and like you said, this is one of the, 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 the many Michael Whitecat songs that appear on this album. But boy, man, like, hit between this and Keeper of the Seven Keys, like, this, this guy wanted people to know, like, hey, I didn't write, very much on the last album. I just had the one power ballad, but you know, I, I am pretty good at this too. So you, you may, you may continue. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even going to bother trying to top that soliloquy. You, you always walk alone. The kiss track. I call it the most forgotten track on either album. And when I say forgotten, I don't mean bad. I happen to love the song. It's just the song that like, I kind of forget it. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm so, comatose after eagle fly free that i'm like i'm not really sure what's happening now and that's what happens with you always walk alone it's a little darker and it's very interesting because a little time is kind of upbeat and happy and and poppy in a way you always walk alone is kind of dark and like it shows another side to kiss songwriting um the intro especially dark but even the vocals are are 
content is, is, is the lyrical theme is, is dark in and of itself. Um, I've always preferred the verses to the chorus here, but it's, I'll tell you, here's what I can say about this track. If I was at a Halloween show and all of a sudden they started playing, you always walk alone. I would freak out. I'd probably start crying. And I say that because like, this is a band. I don't need, you know, you talked about the dream set list. I don't need to hear. I want out again. I love it. I don't have to hear it again. I don't need to hear Future World again. I want to hear some weird stuff. I want to hear some Roland Grappo stuff. I want to hear some Uli Kush stuff. I want to hear You Always Walk Alone. Not that it's my favorite track on the Keepers albums. It's probably one of my least favorites, which is still fantastic. But from the novelty of wanting to hear something like this live, I would lose my mind. It's like the Pearl Jam thing where... You know, you've heard your Jeremy's and you've heard your even flows. Now you want to hear bugs, you right. know, like just you, you want to hear it because I don't think Halloween has ever played this song live ever. Like even back when they were touring this album, they played, we got the right, which was the other song that kiss wrote on this album. And they played a little time, but they did not, this might be the only song on either keeper album that the bands never played live. And and so for that, I completely agree with what you just said i would lose i would mark out if i heard them play this song live because it would be so unexpected and out of left field but yet everyone would know it because it's part of this iconic album um it it, it it's definitely i think the the outlier on the album um honestly i think it's the outlier on the two albums and it might be like the least memorable song on either keeper album i think that there's even b-sides that i would rather hear Living Ain't No Crime, I think, is one of the best songs, one of my favorite Halloween songs of all time, and it's a B-side. Um, but still, it's it's a cool song, and again, much like um, A Little Time did on part one, it kind of um, creates a little bit of a different uh, vibe after like a real like power metal banger to kick things off. Um, they kind of went with that same thing, where it was like, one minute intro... Like, super fast, energetic, power metal song. Weird Michael Kisk song, track three. Um, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think I like this song a lot more now than I did when I was younger, just because it was just kind of stuck in this sea of, of classics. Like, you know, it, it's in between Eagle Fly, Fly Free and Rise and Fall and Dr. Steen. And uh, I mean, th- this album is just, it's an all-star team of songs. So, um you know, this one is kind of like that uh, reliable relief pitcher, I guess, on the all-star team. But um, Rise and Fall is like the beginning to me of the Michael Wycath um, has a sense of humor uh, volume of Halloween songs. It, if you ever just stop and read the lyrics, it's clearly uh, written in jest. Um, the, the, the sound effects. Um, it's but- a comedy show. Yeah, but, and this was the song that when I heard this album for the first time that I was like, whoa, like this is a cool, really cool song because it's just so different, but it's also so fast and, and catchy. And, and again, like Kisk's vocals are so, uh, he might sing higher on this song than anywhere else on the album, possibly, I don't know, but like it, it's, I just... I don't know. I, I just hear, ah, 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 ah. And I'm like, all right, let's go. The Count wants to listen to Rise and Fall. Um, it, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just a fun, 
fun song as ridiculous as the i mean not that dr steen is, is treading on like serious uh you know public health issues <laughs> following but like so you got two two goofy wikey songs in a row uh what, your thoughts i love that they don't take themselves too seriously like there's something so refreshing and so honest about that i've always loved this song i think the lyrics are just so fantastic the drum fill at the beginning, which kind of kicks things off, phenomenal. Low key, one of my favorite Halloween songs of all time. I don't know if I'd admit that to many people, but it's true. It's just so catchy. The verses, the chorus, and the lyrics are so goofy. You can't help but smile. And this is another one I would just kill to hear live. I, I, w- I would lose my mind. I-, I just think that the older I get... I've drifted away from songs like Dr. Steen, which is the next one, because I think I just played it to death. And and I was almost curious to hear, going back to it, knowing that I kind of fell out of favor with it a little bit, I was wondering if it was going to rekindle that flame for me. And quite frankly, the time apart on this one actually helped. Um This one, I think I loved more than Future World. And, and maybe it was, I don't know, maybe I just didn't play it to death as much. But this this is this is an absolute classic. I love the fact that they use keyboards prominently in this particular tune, and it's just like it's like watching Doctor Frankenstein come to life. I, there's something about the imagery here that I just always loved as well. It's it's like a C-rated horror movie in a power metal song. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, really well said. Um, this is I'm with you. It's it's like it's it's overplayed, but it's still it's still great. Like it still has that charm. There's a charm to this song where I think listening to it on this album, it it doesn't, you don't get that charm quite as much as you do when you hear it live and, and everybody's just jumping up and down and having a good time. And uh, even when Andy would sing it, it was so much fun. Like, you know, like Andy got such a bum rap over the years because he had to follow like this, this, this incredible vocalist, uh, Michael Kisk, but like, you know, Andy sang Eagle Fly Free and sang Dr. Steen and, and sang, uh, uh, Future World. Um, and he kept those songs in the rotation when he didn't have to because he, he knew it was important to, to like cater to that old school, you know, fandom. Um, even though Kai had left the band, like, you know, or, and Kisk left the band as well. You know, it, it was important. And I think Dr. Steen was probably like the iconic Halloween song during those, during those early Darius years because they were not playing future, or I'm sorry, they were not playing I Want Out. They didn't play I Want Out, uh, without Kai for a long time. Um, I, 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 they did. I know that they did, but it wasn't initial. It might not have been until, um, the dark ride tour, maybe even it might've even been after Roland and Uli had left the band. Um, but that's how long it took for them to bust that out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the Dr. Steen is just, um, I think another song, probably one of Wikey's most, uh, recognized, uh, song songs that he ever wrote. Um, I, I think I want out is like the Kai Hansen, anthem of power metal and dr steen's like the wikey anthem of, of power metal and they both happen to be on this album and uh and now that the band is is all back together again you get to hear them uh, pr- they'll probably play those songs live every time they play until they don't play anymore 
I would have to think so. Um, just an absolute classic that goes into one of the most exhausting songs that I've ever heard. And when I say exhausting, it's because even though this song starts off like a ballad, it picks up and the dichotomy here is fantastic, but exhausting because Michael Kisk's vocal performance on We Got the Right, I get tired listening to it. Not tired of listening to it, just tired from listening to it. It's the biggest compliment I can give. I love the slower pace on this. I think it was needed. And, and it's one of my favorites just because I cannot believe what a 19-year-old Michael Kisk does on this song. I, I It's just – it boggles my mind and defies logic. That note where he just hits fights for your uh, – I'm not even going to pretend like I could sing an octave lower than that right. in, without falsetto. Um, I'm not I'm not going to go there. Um, it, it's, it's unbelievable. And he did it live at the time. Like yeah. if you go and pick up – uh, Keepers Live or I or uh, whatever. There's I Want Out Live. That, that it was released under several names. Um, there are bootlegs from that tour that I have. If you haven't heard them, I have to send them to you because it is. There's no like studio magic there. It is soundboard recordings. It's just it's it's some of the most incredible stuff I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Um. This was a song that probably was at one point like my least favorite song on this album. And now it's, I hold it in the same rarefied air as everything else. That's so memorable. And I, in great thanks to soul spells, incredible cover of this song with like, I don't know, 11, 12 different vocalists from blaze Bailey to Aaron Lucasin to, uh, uh, you name it. Um, we definitely have to post that cover because it is just, it rekindled my love of this song that just how well it was done. But it reminded me of how it was, how such like what a good song it was. It's just that it again, just got trapped. It's, it's crammed in between Dr. Steen and save us and March of time. And I want out. So it, it's kind of easy to understand why it got kind of lost in the shuffle, I guess at the time, but you need it. You can't just go rise and fall, Dr. Steen, save us, march your time, no. I want out. It, it, you Too need much. something to break that up a little bit. And this was perfectly placed, um, even though it, even though it's kind of a, me, a mid-paced song, there's, it, it, it's so powerful. And yeah, I'm with you. Like It's how he was able to do this. I remember uh, me and Nick, uh, Nick was visiting me. Uh, visiting my uh, Nick came with me to Montauk um, and we were blasting this in the house, this album. And we got to the song. We were like trying to sing the song and also poorly because we didn't really know the words, but like just as like 16 year olds trying to hit those notes and failing. Um, so it, it, I, this is another one, like you said about you always walk alone. I would love to hear them bust this one out live. I feel like that would be so cool. And I hope that, Bef- if Halloween ever does go back to like, you know, not touring with Kai and Kisk again, I hope that they do one tour like Gamma Ray did, like a skeletons from the closet kind of thing, where they just play the weirdest Halloween set list that you ever could want. Because that's the thing that I think me and you would really lose our minds for is to hear just mankind and and the chants oh. and and 
just songs like that that are just like you know the game is on just songs that kind of just got lost through the years because halloween has so many so many epic songs that people remember but they have even more incredible songs that just got forgotten because they weren't doc the dr steens or the i want outs of the world well, well to that point when when i saw them on the last tour because they did two nights in new york city they actually changed the set list by a song or two for that second night and they played kids of the century it was the highlight of the entire show for me. I could not believe that they were playing something from Pink Bubbles Go Ape. I went apeshit. I couldn't believe that they had, like, first of all, I was surprised they changed the set, even though it was two nights in a row, because the first night was sold out. The second night ultimately sold out as well. But when they played Kids of the Century, I, I, I had an out-of-body experience just because <laughs> I couldn't believe they were playing something so deep in the in the archives. Um, but We'll we'll get there when we get to uh, when we get to pink bubbles another day. Um, I'm curious to know your thoughts on save us because I'll be honest with you, I think this is the worst song on the two albums. Not okay. a bad song, it's just not my favorite. And like, I think it, the pacing wise, I think it was good to pick up the pace again. Uh, it's just a bit vanilla to me. I love the bridge. I think the key change at the end with the change in vocals is really really cool. Uh, I love the extended outro. I just don't think this is their best song. And I'm glad that you said that. I mean, I'm I'm not glad that you don't like it <laughs> or, or just don't like it as much. But I, it, it struck me as so odd when I became like an archivist of of Halloween stuff, running you know running a, a Halloween web page, and finding out that this is not an, an original. Right song for this album it was it was it was the the b-side to i want out and according to wikipedia it was only on this album if you had the north american version of the album and being that we were from north america that's the version we had and when and keep in mind at this time like we weren't able to get several Halloween albums like walk into a store and buy couldn't buy Pink Bubbles couldn't buy Chameleon couldn't buy Master of the Rings had uh, better than Raw didn't come out right away in the US um, that was a delay uh, Master of the Rings I think they released a year later uh, in the US and then it went out of print and oh we'll have a very fun story about that uh, when we talk about Master of the Rings um, but yeah so like this this was one of the albums that you could walk into like any you know the wall or whatever and, and they just had it um so it was easy both keeper albums and walls of jericho were both pretty easy to to find um and that's why those three in time of the oath were the the first handful of halloween albums that i owned just because they were accessible and i didn't need to import them um but yeah uh, i i don't hate it but it does kind of feel like an outlier like it doesn't really belong and i guess it makes sense because it wasn't really supposed to be um part of of the album i guess but to me it is just because that's how i grew up listening to it i i it's an it's a it's one of the three kai songs that are all in a row right here um it's definitely the weakest of the three but it's a it's an okay track it was it was good enough for uh for brainstorm, I think it was brainstorm to cover it on the keeper of the uh, keepers of Jericho album. But um, yeah, it's not my favorite um, song on the album, but um, it's probably my least favorite song on the album. It might be my least favorite song on both albums. Yeah, you're I, right. I think that if you take it out, the album is stronger 
because it just brings down the quality just a touch, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you're talking about gold here, but like you're bringing down the overall quality just a touch. It's just there for me. You know, you know what? It's it's like a it's a gamma ray song before there was a gamma ray. Like I feel like I could picture like Ralph Sheepers singing this. I think he does sing it yeah. in those early days. Yeah. It, it sounds better as a gamma ray song, I guess. Uh, um, no argument for me. I think that uh, it was a precursor to what was to come on those early gamma ray albums. Whereas March of Time, another Kai track, is if anything, I think it's underrated because I think it's that good. And I also think that like. What, it's a quintessential Keepers track. This one belong there. This one is just as good as all the others. I think this is a phenomenal, phenomenal tune that's sometimes overlooked. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the fact that they started playing it live again a few years ago um, has kind of reminded everyone, like, yeah, um, this is one of the best songs on either album, in my opinion. Um, and I mentioned it earlier, but... Um, Again, like I think I overlooked it too. I, I I was such a fan of Wikey that like the Kai songs didn't do as much for me when I was a kid. So like to me, it was kind of like I wanted to get to Keeper of the Seven Keys, and these three Kai tracks weren't as interesting to me. Um, I want out would grow on me big time, but you're but March of Time I think is the song that that actually stood the test of time uh, because it, I think it's my it's my favorite song that. Um, that Kai wrote, I think, on, on these two albums. Um, it, it's close with um, Twilight of the Gods and uh, I'm Alive, but I, I think this is, I think this might even be Kai's best song that he wrote for Halloween. Um, you know, maybe not, I don't know if I want to count the latest album, but um, in, in this era, this, I, this is my favorite song that um, Kai wrote for Halloween. I, I just think it's that good. It starts out in such an epic way and it just stays. Um, it's got like this bridge that kind of like builds and builds and builds. And then it's like, and, and it's such a song that you listen to it and you're like, you could picture the fans like raising their fists and going time, like, and everybody just singing along in concert. Um, I, I love this song a lot. And, and if it wasn't for Eagle Fly Free, it probably would be my, uh, track of the week. It's just Eagle Fly Free. Um, just rewind and listen to my, um, my lauding of, of the song. Cause I'm not going to go through that again, but also um, oh, is that official? That is your track of the week. Yes. I thought I said, I thought I, I might've just been babbling so much that I got lost in the, um, in the, in the babbling, but yeah, oh, you definitely, definitely, definitely lost. Or maybe I just tuned out. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I do, duly noted We haven't quite gotten to mine yet. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. It's not, I want out. I think that's obviously the next track. I think it's the perfect single from this track, um, from the album. It's it's a perfect song. It's just gotten a little stale for me over time because I've played it countless times. Um, but it, it's so iconic. It's probably the most iconic Halloween song of all of them, I think, at this point. I think it's fair to say. Um, but the last track here, the, the title track, is maybe one of the best songs ever written. Not from a lyrical content, but just from the, the roller coaster ride that this song takes you on. And that's why... Keeper of the Seven Keys will be my my track of the week. Um, if for no other reason, then I can think of no better way to, th- to spend 13 and a half minutes. What a phenomenal choice. And ironically, I didn't love this track as much when we were younger. 
But as I've gotten older, I've appreciated it more and more and more. And now it's, it's to me, it's, it's the best musical piece with Eagle Fry Free uh, that you can find on either of these two albums. Yeah, I, I got I got nothing. That, that's perfect. Um, you know, I, I I want out was a song I think in like college or maybe like a little bit after. I like that was like my Halloween obsession for a little while. Like the, between like being able to download the music video and actually watch it instead of like leaving your VCR running anytime there was a metal marathon on MTV, which in the late '90s was like rarely ever, and just to be able to have that like video in my possession i was so obsessed with that music video um it was like this gem that i couldn't find and so the the song i had a a spell where it was just my favorite and like you it just got so overplayed and like jesus christ everybody everybody and their mother has covered it um and nobody has ever really tried to like put like an interesting spin on it halloween did when they released their unarmed album they decided that um they were going to be the first band in history to make I Want Out sound a little bit different. Um, so they had to do it to their own song. But uh, yeah, as far as Keeper of the Seven Keys goes, I mean, it, it's un, it's it's just unbelievable. Um, I, I'm going to have to figure out what the hell 60-second clip of the song to post because Good luck. what do you choose? It's just, <laughs> it's such an incredible song. And like you said, it's, it's very much a roller coaster ride the way Halloween is, but it's almost like a completely different style song stylistically because it's so much more melodic and not as it's not as heavy metal tropey. It's more of like what power metal is 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 becoming here and what will become. And um, like I said before, just evidence of what a, a what a like a force to be reckoned with Michael Wycath would be as a as a songwriter in in music. It's just uh, everything about this song is is memorable. Um, the end is just epic. Like just ends in like the most epic way. Um, really outstanding song in a great way. I mean, you know, seven. You know, save us notwithstanding. Leave that out. Let's say we'll go by the original lineup. Seven really, really, really good songs in a row, and then and then they cap it off with this with a thirteen minute song that's arguably better than everything that just preceded it. <laughs> I mean, what what do you? I I can't imagine you give this album anything less than a nine point seven five. It's funny you mention it. That's my score. And the only reason I knock it is because of Save Us. 
Okay. Like, if Save Us isn't on the album, it's a 10. It's a perfect album. It's a 9.75 for me. Uh, you know what? I think I'm right there with you. I, I think also because You Always Walk Alone is just it's just a hair less memorable than the Eagle Fly Freeze and the Rise and Falls of the world. But, um, I mean, it's it's pretty much as close to a per- perfect album as there can be. Um, I, I, I'd be curious to see if I get, if there are any Halloween albums I would give a 10 to. Uh, I don't know like, if any of them are perfect. I, I didn't mean, they, even give the, the new one, which was my album of the year. I th- believe I gave it a 9.5 at the yeah. time. Um, I just don't know if... I don't know. It's possible that something from the early Darius era might might come close, but I don't know. Um, I don't. I really haven't given to. I think maybe Angels Cry and um, Avantage's first album might be the only ones I've given a ten to. Um, Perfect. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's just it's it's tough. Um, but yeah, I mean that said, it, it, it's absolute must listen i can't imagine anybody is listening to this that hasn't heard this album before but i mean if if you haven't uh this is what you need to do immediately as as soon as this podcast is over and you listen to all of our back episodes (laughs) go listen to the the keeper albums you can go on itunes and buy them both as as originally intended as a a double disc with all the extra tracks all the b-sides um, there's a few extra tracks on here. We'll, we'll ca- cover them real quick. Savage, Living Ain't No Crime, Don't Run For Cover. Um, do you have any, any thoughts on, on those three songs? Um, Savage and, and Don't Run For Cover were both written by Kisk, and uh, Living Ain't No Crime was another wikey song that uh, didn't make the cut. Savage and Don't Run For Cover are good songs, as B- very good songs as B-sides. They're good songs. I don't I think either one is particularly special. I'm glad they didn't make the album, but I'm also glad they released them, if that makes sense. Like I, I can't imagine my life without those songs, but they don't they shouldn't be on the album. I think an argument could be made for Don't Run for Cover, although I don't know that they necessarily needed that because Rise and Fall was on the album. It's kind of similar ish in that regard. Um but I happen to think that Don't Run for Um that Living Ain't No Crime is one of my favorite Halloween B-sides, and I know them all, it's one of my favorites. I think it's a phenomenal song. They just didn't need it on the album because they had Rise and Fall. Yeah, and I stand corrected. Um, Brainstorm actually covered um, Savage, which I thought yes. was interesting that they would choose a B-side um, to do a cover of. I really thought, like, the, I actually like the Brainstorm version better. I love <laughs> Andy Frank's vocals. It's cool. Um don't Run For Cover is a pretty good t- tune, too, but I could completely understand why both of these songs didn't make the album. Living Ain't No Crime is my favorite Halloween B-side ever. Um, and this is a band that has a lot of a lot of good B-sides. A lot of B-sides in and of itself. A ton, they were, were machines when it came to releasing singles back in the day. Um, I love Living Ain't No Crime. The fact that they played some of it on their most recent tour, I'm so angry that I missed it, but this was a song that was actually part of their set list during the Keeper 2 tour. They didn't play You Always Walk Alone, but they played Living Ain't No Crime, and I, I can understand why. This song is fantastic. I just don't know that it fits anywhere on this album. It's such a good song, but... They should have um, put it on Keeper 1. Honestly, if it was out, they should have put it on Keeper yeah, 1. 
I, I'm with you. I, I don't think that there's an obvious placement for this song on Keeper 2, but um, I'm glad that it's out there, and I'm glad that we got to hear it. And, and just like you, I bought bootlegs of of all the B-sides that somebody burned onto a disc when I was in high school, and just so I could learn every Halloween song that existed. And, and um, they would re- they would go on to remix Dr. Steen and, and the Keeper of the Seven Keys title track on the Treasure Chest album, Um when I first heard those remixes, it really made me wish that they had gone back and remixed the entire albums. But in retrospect, I've actually grown to love, re-love the original mix because it's just the way... Maybe the, the remasters have cleaned it up a little bit and I hear it in a more positive light than I did initially. But um, it's almost like the um, the drums are like a little bit too... Um, pronounced. Yeah, yeah, in the remix. In and even though the even though the whole album, even though the songs sound really clean, I, I think I I think I kind of I, there's times where I kind of want to hear the remix, and there's times where I don't. Um, I, I know we talked about something similar when we were uh, talking about Megadeth's Rust and Peace album, and and you know people people hear their ears hear things differently. Um, Keeper of the Seven Keys actually ends a little bit differently on the remix where instead of fading out, it kind of has like a distinct end, which is interesting. Mm. It's actually um, like 10 to 15 seconds longer on the remix, uh, which is, which is kind of an interesting thing. So there is a, a slight bit of a change, but um, other than that, I just wanted to make sure that we talked about um, pretty much everything that came out of this era. Um, and I'll save the, uh, the aftermath for when we talk about uh, Pink Bubbles Go Ape and Chameleon and what would happen, what would go on to happen uh, to this lineup of Halloween. I mean, most people probably already know, so I'm not leaving anybody on too much of a cliffhanger here. But uh, yeah, um, that is uh, that is the Keeper of the Seven Keys. Uh, I, we kept it short, believe it or not. <laughs> Could have gone on for hours, only went on for an hour and a half. Um, some news to get to. Uh, from from a couple of different avenues, uh, I believe Mind Maze ha- has some news that they want us to uh, talk about. Yeah, I thought this was really cool. Um, we rather than us just you know bloviating even more, uh, we had the lovely Sarah Teets from Mind Maze. Um, she has a message for uh, all you Mind Maze fans out there. Um, this might not be breaking news because I believe, I don't know. I don't know when they're actually planning on releasing this press release, but we're going to let Sarah do the talking. So here's Sarah Teets of Mind Maze with some uh, news from Mind Maze. Hey everybody, this is Sarah from Mind Maze here, and I am super excited to announce that we are finally releasing a brand new single on June 1st. The song is called Forever Too Late, and it features Triosphere vocalist Ida Haukland. So pre-save that on Spotify, get your downloads, definitely check that out, and thank you, as always, so much for all your support. Rock on! So there you go, Uh, that's exciting stuff. Um... I don't know if they're like actually going to release the track as the band is playing on stage at Prague Power, which I think would be kind of a cool touch that everybody pulls out their phone and buys the track on uh, iTunes in the middle of the, the set. Um, I actually have the track. 
uh, because I am part of the Kickstarter for their upcoming album, and they sent it to the backers early, but I haven't nice. had a chance to, to listen to it yet. But um, I love Ida's vocals from Triosphere, so I'm really looking forward to hearing um, her. And, and I love Sarah, I think, is just such a such a fantastic vocalist. Um, so, yeah, um, all the best uh, luck to Mind Maze, who are making their prog power debuts, and I know that... Um, Sarah and Jeff and the rest of the band have waited a long time to play on that stage, uh, you know, at center stage. So it's a, it's a well-deserved honor. And, uh, I wish, I wish them all the best. They're a great bunch of people. And, uh, I'm glad that we were able to, uh, let Sarah have her voice be heard on the metal exchange. Uh, I love it. I love it. Look forward to, look forward to the show, look forward to the single and, um, should be interesting. One other bit of news, uh, well, really two bits of news from from the same camp. Spirit Box, one of my favorite, favorite albums of last year, uh, has parted ways with their bassist, Bill Crook. Kind of unfortunate timing, only because they just announced a North American tour. And this is not a club show tour uh, around the the U.S. and Canada. Ghost – Mastodon and Spirit Box are doing an arena tour beginning in late August in San Diego, ending up in Green Bay, Wisconsin on Friday, September 23rd. When you look at the venues that these three bands are playing, it is mind-blowing. I, 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 they're playing the UBS Arena on Long Island five seconds from my front door. Um, that place holds like 18,000 people. Um, we've covered Mastodon in the archives. Ghost obviously has been growing uh, in popularity by leaps and bounds. Great, great spot for Spirit Box to be in front of uh, for their first real gigantic U.S. tour. They're going to be playing in front of a lot of people, and I, I, I'm going to call it right now. That band is going to blow up. I don't know that they're going to be headlining Madison Square Garden, but Spirit Box is going to blow up. See them while you have the chance as an opener because um, it's going to be a really hot ticket to see them in the future. I, I pretty much guarantee that. Yeah, they had some trouble. Um, they were supposed to tour with Limp Biscuit last year, and then the tour was canceled because of the pandemic. And um, believe it or not, the singer from Shinedown, Brent Smith, offered – $10,000 to help cover lost tour expenses because he thought it would be a travesty if the band was unable to continue because of the lost expenses from this. Wow. So I thought that was a, a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool gesture, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Like they're for a band. They only do have that one album. Correct? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. There, there was so much um, positive press that came from that album. And I'll be honest with you. Like I really didn't get a chance to listen to it as many times as I would have liked, but it charted at number 13 in the U S like a debut metal album. That's unheard, unheard of. of. Yeah. Unheard of. So, um, I, I want to just uh, shout out to Justin Westmoreland. He was the one who first brought spirit box to my attention. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's, it, I, I'm with you. I think that this is going to be, um, a band that really breaks out and, and being on tour with, with Mastodon and ghost is a, Nice way to, to get your yourself out there. I expect Within Temptation to be uh, touring uh, Madison Square Garden after they play with Iron Maiden uh, this this fall. It's just sometimes you just need you need to open for somebody a little bit bigger than you to really get your foot in the door. I I like it. Um, next week, 
not sure. Maybe have a new episode. Maybe won't. Uh, we'll be at Prog Power. Uh, maybe maybe to... maybe you'll be on it, listener. Uh, yeah. whichever, you know, you might you might be on the next episode. We could, are. could be something special, or we may skip a week. Not not entirely sure. We'll see what kind of material comes out of of, of that trip. Uh, we do have our next request album. Normally the first Monday of the month, but this time may get pushed until the second Monday. Um, this is a band that we are going to cover, which admittedly I have not... <laughs> I know not you're just given... going to stop right there. This is a band. This is <laughs> a band. Tune in this, in two weeks. <laughs> this is a band that we'll see you in two weeks. No, this is a band that we're going to cover that I don't know much about. I have consciously avoided for reasons I'll get to later on. Uh, but we had a number of requests for, for this band. I mean, like a shocking number of requests for a... a, a a thrash metal band, um, one of many who is definitely not part of the big four. Uh, but I'm talking about Overkill, and I'm talking about their fifth studio album from 1991 called Horoscope. I've never listened to a note of this album. I will give this fair play. I have major concerns about my 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 uh, ability to fall in love with this album, but I'm going to give it its fair due. I think it's going to be a very interesting exercise. Um, and, and I just really don't know what to expect because I have not given this band the, the time of day. Um, uh, do you know anything by this band, or is this like completely new for you as well? I've, I've listened to this band less than you have. So okay, so there you go. I've heard a couple of songs. You've heard nothing. So yep. this should be really interesting. Uh, the glory of the of Old Bridge Township, New Jersey, Overkill. <laughs> I, uh, I I mean, the little I've heard, I hasn't really broken through my attention span at all um so i don't know what to expect other than that it's thrash metal um east coast thrash metal which i don't have a good uh track record with on this podcast so far so um this should be interesting but i mean it's always fun listening to these requests because it's it always ends up being something that i might not have visited or revisited uh in any form or fashion in my lifetime so and and overkill i feel like was a band i was happy to let um let <laughs> never hearing again like never hearing for the rest of my life i was okay with it i'd made peace with it um but uh, here we go i guess we might as well start busting out exodus and testament albums while we're at it too um we got we still have to do slayer and metallica uh welcome back to the thrash exchange here we go yeah i look forward to it uh it, it will definitely be a fun episode and i will i will come back with an album uh the following week so a little preview as to uh what's to come the next couple of weeks thanks for listening uh we've we've blabbed on long enough so i hope you enjoyed the week's episode uh we're gonna go take a little break and we will catch you uh very very soon back at the metal exchange thanks for everything and please 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 if you see either of us at prog power we're our hopes that you're listening to this episode uh on your flight or on your drive um please come say hello uh we would if we haven't met you before we would love to meet you um and uh, if you see us with a, with a microphone out in the courtyard at the Artmore, come on over because we are looking for content. And uh, I have a feeling we'll get plenty of that. Uh, whether it can be produced is a whole other story, but we'll get there. Uh, enjoy the week. We, we certainly will be, and we will catch you very, very soon. Take it easy, bud. Take care. <laughs>